0: Hi. Welcome to uh, welcome to our program today. Uh, my name is Ray Gerard, and I'm here with a uh, special guest, Dr. Brian Gasser. Doctor, thank you for being here Thanks today. Thanks for
1: having me. Great. Appreciate and it. And we are going to talk about... Well, I thought we'd talk about fertility. Uh, I, I'm an obstetrician-gynecologist here in St. Louis, uh, and my faith is very important to me. I'm a, obviously a Catholic. You're on Catholic uh, TV.
0: So can i interrupt See, yeah. this this is what i do i i make guests feel uncomfortable i like to interrupt them yeah so wonderful gonna, exactly. <laughs> i just start perhaps with a prayer i said and we always and and you can say yes or no but i offer the opportunity to the guest always to lead us in a prayer if you like i say yes
1: we need a prayer well then
0: please all
1: right uh in the name of the father son holy spirit amen Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of fertility, Uh, one of of those amazing gifts that help us to understand you better, the triune God. Uh, Just ask that you bless our time and bless those that uh, have encountered fertility uh, in difficult ways. Uh, We ask that you give us the faith, the trust, and the love. Uh, to serve you and honor you with our bodies. And we give you all glory as we pray. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Holy Spirit, Spirit, as as it was was in the beginning, is is now, and and ever ever shall be, be world without without end. end. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Well, thank you. Um, So, uh, and this is obviously an important topic. A lot of people struggle with, you know, how we should think about uh, fertility or they struggle with issues with fertility. Um, Our culture today has its own ideas um, about the, you know, the the male-female kind of relationship. And so I think a lot of people have ideas that uh, sometimes might not necessarily be, uh, might not be the best. So, and... uh, and as you say, this is this is your field. You deal with patients, correct? In this? Yeah. 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 So uh, before I interrupted you, I, I know you were you were beginning. So please, yeah. if you could continue.
1: Well, the, the church has a lot to say about fertility, right? Just because it's we, we often think that the the church is very hung up on uh, the marital bond, the marital look, uh, act, uh, but the the truth of the matter is, it's because it's such a holy thing. Uh, you know, the the world the the view of fertility and and male-female relationships is is hugely erotic and not really uh, the fullness of, of what God had planned for fertility. Um, You know, as I was preparing for this time, uh, one of the the passages that came up was uh, really a a passage from one of the Vatican II documents, Gaudium et Spes, Uh, and I'll read it here just because I want to make sure I don't slaughter that. please. Children are the supreme gift of marriage and contribute greatly to the good of the parents themselves. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I I don't know about you, but I know when when we had children, we've been very blessed with eight living children. We've had five miscarriages. Oh, wow. but I, I know that when we started having our family, uh, it really awakened something in me. I wanted to be a better person for my kids. Uh, that, that commercial during the baseball game that I would have never paid attention to before, all of a sudden was objectionable to me because here's my two-year-old little boy, very well, impressionable, very impressionable exactly and uh, you know it it really helped me to want to be better and i think that's that's one of the things about having children that is very ingrained in us you know god allows us in, in some cases you know I'll talk about these other exceptions but uh, god allows us to have children because it helps us to understand him better. You know, we we look to the first chapter or first couple of chapters of Genesis, uh, you know, where they were created male and female. And, you know, it's not good for man to be alone. So he creates the woman. And, you know, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two will become one flesh. You know, I've thought about that. God's addition is a little bit different than ours. You know, for God, one plus one makes three. It's a trinity. And, part of the reason for that is because it's built into us as a way of understanding who god is when we have a father and a mother and a child it's a special kind of trinity in a a real sense i think every summer when we celebrate trinity sunday you know they talk about what a mystery it is And, and truly it is but there's something in our nature that God has built in through this marital act, that helps us to understand Him in, in a way, and and it's because it's so holy that you know the Church has a lot to say and tries to give us a lot of guidance on that.
0: You know, it's funny because I just thought of something as, as you were talking. I just thought of something. I you know the concept that you're discussing was something that I I, I knew from. Uh, reading some of, I didn't get through all of it, but some of the theology of the body by, <laughs> by you know, St. Pope John Paul II. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the, the father, mother, child is a trinity of love, just like the, the trinity in heaven, uh, which, is all, which is connected by love. And I, so I, that part I knew. But what had occurred to me as you were talking was, yeah, we're in the image of God. I mean, a child, when he's born into a family like this, And there's a loving mother and a loving father he looks upward for love and so what better training can you have for the human experience the human condition than if you begin your life looking up for love
1: that's absolutely right you know the the world tries to twist that love you know and we think of of that marital act you know what is it about it It's because it's so holy, because, like, exactly what you're saying, it's this reflection of love between mother and father that's life giving. Mm -hmm. It is life giving. Um, You know, and so when when we look at something that is holy, anytime it gets twisted, it's very serious. You know, I, I like this example always. If I were to take a loaf of Wonder Bread and put it on the ground and start stomping on it, well, people might think I'm a little nutty. And I've been accused of
0: that. Yeah. I kind of thought that already.
1: You know what? And I I can confirm that. My (laughs) wife would would substantiate much more uh, of those claims. But if I were to take the Holy Eucharist and put that on the floor and stomp on it, that's desecration. That is grave, grave evil. Uh, and, And so the holier something is, whenever we twist it, it really it becomes more problematic you know it becomes a grave evil uh, and it's precisely because that marital act is so holy that when we do things you know outside of what what the church teaches the church has a lot of guidance because it wants us to experience how holy this gift is it's not anti Sex at all, or anti-marital love—it uh, just wants it done in, in the right context, because that's when it's life-giving. That's when it um, builds a couple up. You know, we talked about that before—that that children build a couple up, uh, and when it's outside of that, it, it breaks them down.
0: That uh, that analogy you gave, and <laughs> that one's that's gonna that's gonna stick in my memory—the um, bread and the the wonder bread, and then the Eucharist. Um, I've heard, you know, I don't know how many times, you know, Saint Paul's uh, writing where he talks about, um, you know, that that your don't you know that your you know body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Right. It's a holy thing, and in that analogy you just gave, man, that puts so much more, I don't know, understandable context to it. Yeah, these are, I mean, an individual human, and two two humans together in a marital relationship it is very much a holy thing. Right. Yeah, it's a right. holy thing. And, uh, you know, um, and it is, it, it's, it's, it's a much fuller experience, isn't it, um, than if you're just in a relationship and you don't regard it as a holy thing. And then, you know, and, and it seems to me that it's that, that always, that does really get passed on to the kids. I mean, if the parents have a perception of the family, you know, the if, if a child knows that the mother loves the father and vice versa and that they love the ch- and that they love the child i mean uh, and i guess maybe you must you must see this but children grow up in an environment that is secure and they feel that there's there's an order to things um, you know i mean you, you must you must i would imagine see that
1: um, it's absolutely one of the most beautiful parts of my job is to, to see those children lovingly welcomed the, the other kind of pivot, Ray, um, fertility being a gift, when we think about it, fertility doesn't always go the way we would like it to. You know, it, it, it's a gift and it's a, it can be a difficult gift. You know, I, I think about uh, when we talk about a, a gift, we talk about the giver. And the, the giver knows what we want and knows what we need. Uh, and sometimes, you know, our grandmother gave us that ugly Christmas sweater because she knew we needed to stay warm in the winter. But it may not have been exactly the gift that we were hoping for mm-hmm. or looking for. Uh, and, and so that was, it, gifts can be a little bit more challenging like that. And I think for as much as we talk about fertility being a gift, it can sometimes be a cross, Uh, And, and, you know, couples deal with fertility in different ways. There are some that experience fertility from an infertility standpoint, Uh, some that are able to conceive but have losses, miscarriages, for example, Um, and, and then there are others that you know, maybe they've been very blessed and are at a stage in life where they feel prayerfully they, they're unable to, you know, welcome another baby and, and how do we manage that? You know, fertility, while it is such a powerful gift, can can also be a, a cross as well. And I think our our challenge always as Catholics is how can we carry that cross joyfully? What does this mean for me, you know, to, to carry that cross with joy and to accept that gift from the giver that really knows what I need more than anything, um, even though you know, it may not be exactly what I wanted.
0: So you deal with people all the time that have these crosses, as you say, and um, I suppose different people deal with it differently?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think it's it's an individual. We we talk about crosses in general. You know, these were hand-chosen for us. Um, I don't understand, you know, and I think that's the common uh, thing that I say to patients a lot. I don't understand why this is happening. But I trust that somehow God is here. God is present, uh, and God is trying to to show us his loving mercy through
0: this. So... um... Do you have any advice for people that are struggling with, with crosses like this? Um, and do you ever uh, feel an opening to maybe give such advice to people?
1: No, ab- absolutely, Ray. It, it's, um, it's really about helping them to see that God is present. Uh, and I think if, if we can do that, uh, that he carries that cross with them. You know, sometimes I, I saw this uh, this little meme, it, it said, you know, see these two sets of put- footprints, this is where I was walking beside you. See this groove over here, this is where I had to drag you along a little bit. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I've <laughs> thought about that. I'm probably that second one more, more than the first. <laughs> uh, but taking that moment to, to just pause and realize, okay, this may not be going the way I had envisioned how it would go, but somehow my loving father has a plan. And, you know, that that can bring me comfort even in those trials uh, and difficulties when it comes to fertility.
0: Have you seen examples of people that have that kind of a sense that God's with them through it? Uh, or maybe you've seen people that haven't had that sense?
1: No, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I remember years ago, uh, you know, a man coming to me and, and saying, you know, Dr. Gosser, my husband, my uh, my wife and I have been trying to conceive for several years. Uh, we've had a miscarriage and now we're both approaching 40. So it's not looking real positive that we're going to have a biologic child. Uh, in addition, we've applied to be an adoptive parent or adoptive parents with adoption agencies. But we're not encouraged because we're 40, you know, and everybody wants these 30-year-old couples uh, to play baseball with their child and, you know, these idyllic images. And uh, he said, uh, we're just getting to a point where we're losing hope. And I, I said, no, I, I don't know the plan, but I, I trust that somehow God has a plan here. The next year, she conceived and had a had a son the following summer. Uh, They, when they were going through the adoption process, anytime you would have a child like this, you'd have to update your file folder. You know, that, hey, we had a child, uh, you know, to keep your your profile current. Well, an adoptive mother had chosen them, and and she chose them because at that time, their file folder said they didn't have any children. And she chose them specifically because she wanted them to, to be able to really pay special attention to her child Uh, and there was some paperwork problem where their file didn't get updated so she meets them and realizes who's this child here oh this is our son we had him last summer well uh, that was kind of a deal breaker for me but when she met them she thought I'll go ahead and, and, and talk with them at least now that we're here. And of course, they were the couple that she wanted to adopt her child. So, you know, I look at situations like this where the Holy Spirit is at work, and we, we just have to trust that even though it may not look like we thought it was going to look, that, that somehow God is, is at work.
0: So they went from having... No children, and it wasn't looking so good. Till all of a sudden, within a span of a year or two, now they had two children.
1: Two, and they've adopted again. So now they have three. Uh, and those those children hit the uh, the family lottery jackpot, if you will, because they're fantastically faithful filled people uh, and are, are raising their children in that family of love.
0: Yeah. Do um, people ever come to you and ask for help, like, with regard to, like, perhaps in vitro fertilization or some techniques if they're having fertility issues? Uh, absolutely. You know, I, I think
1: when, um, when we talk about, I, I, I do a lot of infertility work in my own practice. Uh, when we think of what the church teaches about infertility treatments, uh, really you look at it from a, we want to restore normal function and we want children to be conceived in the normal act of love, the marital embrace, uh, children have a right to be conceived in love. You know, when we think of of children, uh, they're not things; they're people. You know, we talk about a a right. You know, I have a right to this, that, the right to life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, if you will. Well, those are things, and yes, you know, th- there there are rights that we have, but when it comes to people, we don't have a right to people. You know. You know and, and the children have a right to so morally In vitro fertilization procedures are problematic because it takes that conception out of the marital act Or away from the marital act um, And there's a whole host of other moral problems. So a lot of what I try and focus on with couples is what's wrong How can we fix that to restore normal function? Let's say of ovulation or you know, can we analyze, you know, is there an issue with charting, you know, when when that time of fertility is at its peak amount. Uh, is there something impeding that? You know, so there are morally licit treatments for this, but we need to, you know, to always look at it from that perspective, that we want to do this in the right way. Uh, Abraham, I think, is a great example from the Old Testament. You know, he waited a long time for Isaac. And in the process, he thought, well, God's making me wait. Why don't I, God helps those who help themselves. Why don't I help God out? And, you know, took his wife's maid servant and, and had this other child. You know, clearly God was calling him to, to go mm-hmm. about doing this in the right way. Uh, and this had ramifications for, for him and for his life um, and for the future of the Israelites. But, um, you know, I think when we do this in the proper way, Ray, uh, it, it really, it gives more glory to God. It, it's difficult to trust. I don't, I don't want to make light of this and say it's easy to do it this way. Um, I, I think most people don't have a perspective on infertility. What I try and, and convey to those that do not is, imagine if you wanted to get married and you're planning on getting married to your beloved at the end of this month and you're excited and cannot wait. This is something you've been looking forward to. And just before the end of the month, the day before your wedding day, your in-laws say, no, this isn't a good month for us. We're gonna wait another month. And it, it, it's an emotional roller coaster for, for many couples because they've wanted this so greatly. You know, it, the, the tendency is to say, God, I, I wanna have a child. Don't you want me to have a child? What, this is, should be what you want me to do. Uh, and and they don't really understand that God's timing may not be exactly what their timing is. Right.
0: Um, so when people are dealing with these crosses, um, do you find that the, the teaching of the church is something that helps you? I mean, that the teaching on the church is something that helps guide you? Or do you find that you ever have an opportunity to maybe share any of that? Do you look for... Signals from people perhaps that you could share uh, any of that, or does that really or is that really too difficult most of the time to actually you know get into that subject where you know people should you know or maybe maybe just suggest to people i, I don 't know um, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, my
1: practice is Saint joseph obstetrics and gynecology, so I think people that come understand that they can be open to a faith perspective and and many appreciate. The fact that they're they're getting a Catholic perspective, they that they can trust more, um, but but I think there are opportunities sometimes where the Holy Spirit can can open doors and and allow us to explore this. Um, fertility is again just one of those gifts that we have to trust God mm-hmm. and want. I, I think the hardest prayer sometimes to pray is. Lord, I want what you want more than I want what I
0: want. <laughs> it's always the hardest prayer, isn't yeah. it? I mean, it's so hard to give to give up things that we that we want ourselves. Right. So, how much has it helped you? I mean, the the church teaching. I mean, did, so I understand that the people you know come and they they understand they're going to have a, they're going they're going to be dealing with somebody who's got a Catholic perspective. But personally, for you. I mean, how much does the church teaching give you, I guess, stability in knowing how to counsel people? Because if you didn't have it, you know, maybe there'd be more confusion for you yourself.
1: Right. As I mentioned at the beginning, uh, Ray, my own personal journey and my wife's journey, we we have had five miscarriages. Miscarriage has been part of our story. Uh, we we had five very healthy pregnancies, and when we moved back to St. Louis, were wanting to be open to have another baby, and we had three miscarriages in a row, and there were some dark nights, and I didn't understand, and I prayed to God, and and saw my family suffering, my wife particularly, physically, but but also emotionally. Uh, it was it was very heart heartbreaking and gut wrenching for her to you know, to, to experience these losses. Um, I remember talking to one of my sons who was particularly upset when he had found out that his little baby brother or sister was was not going to be joining our family, at least on earth.
0: And how uh, old was your son at the time? He
1: was probably seven or eight, mm-hmm. but uh, he was just very despondent and upset. Uh, and And again, it was one of those moments of the Holy Spirit where I just said, I don't know what to share with him. What came to me was our meal prayer, you know, bless us, O Lord, in these thy gifts. It was the reminder that our children really are gifts, that I, I like to think of them as my children. They belong to me. But really, we are just stewards of those children. We take care of them. Sometimes God asks us to love them two weeks. Sometimes God asks, uh, will ask us to love them for 50 years. Uh Whatever that responsibility is that he asks of us, Mm -hmm. that is, you know, they're gifts and they belong to him. Uh, I I think of Abraham again and Isaac uh, and that passage that we're very familiar of where Abraham and Isaac are going up the mountain and God has asked him to sacrifice his son. And I think intuitively we all enjoy that story because we know how it ends. We know that God's gonna vindicate Isaac and that you know God will provide the lamb, right? Mm-hmm. Well, for us, we have to remember every day, we place our children on that altar. We give them to God because they're his. And there are occasions where he accepts them back. Uh, and giving them over to God and placing them on the altar can sometimes be the hardest thing we have to do as parents. Mm-hmm. But they do not belong to us. They're his. He loves them infinitely more than we ever could and has a plan for them. Uh, and the the other real exciting thing about it is, and for us, we, we have gone on to have two other children after those m- miscarriages that we had, but we had two additional miscarriages, so we've had a total of five. I, I take great comfort in knowing that there are five little ones in heaven that are cheering us on, that are praying for us. I'm sure they pray for my wife a little bit harder than for me because <laughs> she needs extra graces dealing with me as well. And you don't need any prayers. <laughs> I, I'll take whatever I can get. I'm, I'm in the extra help club.
0: So, Doctor, so we've been talking about crosses and how people deal with crosses in terms of uh, having children or not having children. So that's... Um, that's. Uh, that's going to be uh, what we're going to. I mean, that, that, that will be this segment, and then um, we're going to uh, we're going to take a little break. But then we're going to rejoin this discussion and uh, talk about um, talk about, I guess, natural family planning, birth control, and how to try to maybe get around some of these fertility issues. So, yeah, thank you, and we'll help. Uh, you know, we'll j- join us again uh, shortly. Hello, and uh, welcome back. Thank you for joining us for. Another segment uh, with Dr. Gasser. We're talking about uh, fertility, uh, I guess a blessing and a curse, right, you might say. I mean, it's, it's funny because ah, when Moses brought the Ten Commandments down, I think that's what he referred uh, to the commandments, that they're a blessing and a curse. Either you follow, follow God, God's will or you follow God's way or you don't. But anyways, um, in a previous segment, um, you were talking about trying to help people with infertility issues, and instead of trying to lead them or, or let them use some, uh, some methods that are not necessarily uh, in line with church teaching, uh, but instead lead them to other ways. So perhaps you could maybe uh, you know describe how you, how you help people yeah, that way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, my, my office
1: is one of a growing number of offices uh, where we, we're trying to encourage couples to look at their fertility as a gift. It, it can go, as we mentioned in other, the other segments, um, off-track where couples struggle to conceive, they have infertility issues, or maybe they are able to conceive, but they have losses of some sort, whether that be miscarriage or ectopic pregnancy or, or what have you. The other aspect of that is when fertility goes exactly as it's planned, where, where couples have normal fertility, uh, and they're in a situation where having another baby may be an extreme hardship. Uh, our office really encourages couples to, because of that fertility being a gift, how can we respect God's gift of fertility uh, and yet, you know, look at resp- being a responsible parent? Uh, when, when you look at church teaching, Humanae Vitae in 1968, over 50 years ago now, really um, gave us some guidelines, you know, talked about grave reasons, you know, that there might be situations Mm -hmm. where couples would have grave reasons for delaying or avoiding another pregnancy uh, for whether it be social reasons or psychological reasons or economic reasons or or even physical reasons as well. Um, I, I like the fact that Humanae Vitae is purposefully vague on those things because it really hits at when we talk about our fertility, and especially with our spouses, we want to be generous to life. We want to be generous to our spouses and generous to God. But God gives us a brain and asks us to be prudent and, and to look at our situation and to always look at fertility um, you know, in a responsible way. Uh, as a gift you know there, there are times where you know we have, a re- have to think of our responsibility to our children that we currently have and our spouse and where we're at in life uh, and th- there may be serious reasons or grave reasons like Humana Vitae talks about uh, that might give us reason to delay another pregnancy or even prevent another pregnancy uh, when, when you think of fertility in general A woman's body is only fertile for about 12 to 24 hours of the month. Men are fertile all the time in in a real sense. We're talking couples with normal fertility. Uh, So a couple's fertility together really is that 12 to 24 hours. Uh, Now, the sperm can live in a woman's body for four or five days. So understanding a woman's body and knowing that time of fertility really can help couples to, uh, when they're thinking about, You know, being open to life Mm -hmm. can really help them to conceive, Um, but by taking recourse to those infertile times, couples can delay another pregnancy. I I think one of the key components though of it, Ray, is uh, it's something that has to be approached prayerfully. Uh, You know, when we think of, the the goal has never been that God wants us to have as many children as we can possibly have. it's not some kind of game or some kind of like we talked in the other segment. children are a gift and and certainly you know there there are situations where God calls us to accept another gift. maybe it was something that that we in our own mind didn't plan, but God had planned this child to be a part of our family uh but i I think it's something that we we always have to be on a month to month basis prayerfully asking God, you know, God, help me to know what you want for me. I want what you want. And if it is to have another baby, then here's our situation. Here are my concerns. You know, can can we resolve some of those things? Are, are things maybe not uh, as important as I think they are? It, it's something that, that needs to be undertaken in a, a monthly dialogue between spouses. Uh, I think it's important to speak with our, our spiritual directors, our priest friends, you know, to get guidance from them as well. Uh, because, you know, grave reasons, it, it's purposefully vague. What for some couples may be a grave reason, for another couple may not be. Mm-hmm. And and I think we need to resist uh, every opportunity to be judgmental. You know, what, what someone may not consider a grave reason is. You know, it is for someone else.
0: Now, you mentioned that um, there's this 12- to 24-hour window, but then there's like a four- to five-day grace period afterwards, if you will. Is there... Is there like a a higher efficiency, a higher productivity, like in the first or second day, as opposed to the third, fourth, fifth day? Um, You know, you said you know the sperm can live for four or five days, but I mean, they they, what do they start to die off, and so that there's 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 more, you know, that are are living the first or second day, because what I'm uh, what I'm getting around to asking is, when a couple discussing you know the this this charting and timing that you're talking about. When they discuss this together, uh, doesn't have a better they'd have a better understanding, right, of when that 12 to 24 hours is, and so then they would be able to increase their, you know, increase their chance of of having a child. Right.
1: Well, and I, I think that discussion is what's key. Ray right? is is those communication lines. Uh, I, I look at it from the husband's standpoint. Most husbands are kind of clueless uh, and we don't understand our wives very well. Uh, when I was <laughs> a newlywed, even, sure. even as an obstetrician and, and knowing what I know about this and trying to understand the church teaching, uh, there, there's some element where I, I can say as a husband, my wife is a mystery to me and, and perhaps I'm a mystery to her in some ways as well. Um, but, but this journey with understanding fertility has helped me, one, to understand what's going on with her on a, on a physical level, but it, it has also helped me to order my desires and help me to love her more. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there were many things that I didn't appreciate when we were newlyweds. you know, And, and over the years, as we have wrestled with, with these issues every month, uh, it has helped me to realize, okay... I need to put her needs first. I need to care for her and love her. And truly loving someone means I care more about what you need than what I need. Mm -hmm. And that's not easy in our culture. That's not easy for husbands. Uh, And I think that's one of the reasons why charting is one of the best kept secrets of the church. When you look at couples that, that utilize natural family planning, they have a very low divorce rate. I mean, they've done good studies that say it's probably less than 5%. Really. Exactly, wow. and, which is surprising to most people. It is. You know, if if you were getting married and I told you if you do this one thing, you probably have a 95% chance of staying married, you'd probably listen up and, and look at it more closely.
0: And the other thing I think people don't understand, there's another statistic about the effectiveness of natural family planning. Right. And so perhaps you could tell us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think in years gone by, uh, the methods that were used were not nearly as, well, I don't think, I know they were not nearly as effective at understanding fertility and, and when that time of fertility was. Uh, what our grandparents, and I may say great-grandparents now because we're, years are going by, but what they used was more of a calendar method, which mm-hmm. wasn't all that effective in, in understanding when that time of because fertility you could, was. You could hit or miss. Because right.
0: I mean, every woman is different, right? And so right. The, these these fluctuations, that it's all different, right? So
1: Right, absolutely. Uh, and so the newer studies looking at this, for couples that are trained and, and understand this cycle of fertility, it's as effective as any, any of the artificial forms at delaying another pregnancy. But the beauty of it is it's something that can be used to help them conceive as well. So
0: you're talking 95, 98, I mean you're talking the high 90s in terms of a percentage basis in terms of the effectiveness, which, you know, I mean that's right up there with any of the other methods.
1: Correct, Yeah. correct, without all the side effects. You know, I I find it highly ironic that we live in a time where everyone is trying to be very natural and green and all of this, and yet they're willing to put all these chemicals into their body to prevent fertility. Or to usurp a natural body process, you know, fertility is not a disease; it's a gift, as we've we've mentioned. And so, uh, <laughs> I, I just find it ironic that you <laughs> know, pe- people are, are doing, taking all these uh, options to, to oh, try you, and avoid and get away from their
0: fertility. Oh, you buy natural spring water, you know, and uh, organic food, and all that. And then, but on the other hand, yeah, we go artificial. With regard to perhaps you know the most intensely personal part of our lives, right? Um, and uh, so how we, I don't, know, I don't know I mean do people come and ask you uh, you know about natural family planning? Uh, uh, you know I mean do you uh, suggest it? Um, if, if if they don't ask, how do you go about you know dealing with with patients on in that regard? Yeah,
1: absolutely. As I mentioned in the other segment. I look for openings that the Holy Spirit might prompt. There are couples that may have been contracepting, may have been using one of these artificial means. uh, And when I share with them that I don't prescribe them because of moral reasons, it kind of piques their curiosity. Really? Why not? What's wrong? Doctor, nobody's ever, I've never encountered, (laughs) I never encountered a doctor. It it wasn't whether or not to use or not, it was what kind of contraception you would use. Uh, So to to be able to open that door and and say, well, listen, this is why I don't prescribe these things, because primarily in the package insert, if you look, it talks about how these medications thin out the lining of the uterus. And we, we think that predominantly it will prevent ovulation, but we know that doesn't happen all the time because there are women that were taking, let's say birth control pills, for example, and got pregnant, they conceived, so obviously they had to ovulate. Uh, so it did not prevent ovulation all the time. But if you think conceptually, if it doesn't prevent ovulation, conception could be occurring, that baby goes down and, and goes to implant in a lining that's been thinned out by, by the medication. Uh, and I, I've talked with colleagues you know, that, that denied that, but I said, well, if, if you have heavy bleeding, why in the world would you put them on the birth control pill? Don't you think it thins out the lining and causes less bleeding? Well, but I don't think it it prevents implantation. Well, I I think if you look in the package insert, it really does say that one of the mechanisms can be uh, that it does prevent implantation. I don't know of any drug company that's ever done a study to prove how often their product causes Mm -hmm. prevention of of implantation of Mm -hmm. a fertilized egg for those of us that believe that life begins at conception that's morally problematic because if we do something downstream where the baby's conceived goes to implant but because of an unhealthy lining is not able to you know and and what percentage of the time does that happen maybe it's one percent maybe it's two percent but that's one or two percent too many if it happens at all you know we have to think about that and I know of patients that hearing this for the first time just looked at me in horror, like, You mean to tell me that I could have possibly caused an abortion for my child? They didn't know, you know, and so, so I tell them that I think that's possible, but, you know, now you know. Now you know better and you can do better. Uh, so it, it becomes a, a real opportunity in some of those cases to share with them how the how these medications work, uh, and then then that opportunity opens up. We have something better to offer, something that's all natural, something that's as effective. If you have you know medical problems and really cannot welcome another child right now, uh, you know if you have financial burdens that are so heavy that that you really feel like this gift that god wants to give you you just can't accept another gift right now mm-hmm. and that's that's the charting that's the natural family planning uh, so it, it's a nice set segue in, into that
0: and so it's a nice segue and how receptive are you know i mean I it's hard to give numbers or percentages but uh, you know is it i guess when you were starting this practice um Did you find that more people maybe were open to natural family planning than you might have expected or? I I think
1: there are certainly a, a subset of people that that are very open to it, the ones that have gotten in on the secret, that that know that it's a healthy thing for marriages, that it's within what the church teaches. You and know, Humani Vitae the clearly they, 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 talked they, about yeah. understanding those those fertile cycles of of women, and knowing so, that you know acts of, of right, marital right, love. Right, right. You know, not every act of marital love results in a baby.
0: Right. Um, all right. So, well, anyways, this has been this has been interesting again, and uh, so we're going to take another break. But please uh, join us for our, our next segment with Dr. Gasser. Thank you. Thanks. Hello, and welcome uh, to another uh, segment uh, with uh, our special guest, Dr. Brian Gasser, who is a uh, specialist in uh, fertility, and uh, so he's talking to us today about fertility as a blessing and a curse. And you are uh, and you practice out of a clinic called Saint Joseph's.
1: Obstetrics and gynecology. So,
0: and so uh, obviously the uh, the Catholic uh, aspect is is right there in, in, in the name of it. And so he's been able to meld his personal faith with his practice, which is a, I imagine that's kind of a rewarding thing. I think a lot of us might like the opportunity to do that. You found a way to do it.
1: When, when you don't have to check your faith at the door, it, it really is very helpful. Uh, certainly, our, our culture is very hostile uh, in some ways towards our Catholic faith. Uh, so, to, to actually be a part of a practice, uh, which I have for a number of years now, I'm in my own practice, but to be a part of a practice where, where we can provide that faith dimension. You know, we're, we're just not treating bodies, uh, we're, we're treating souls. You know, we're caring for souls too. Uh, and we want to help them accomplish their goals, whether it be a healthy pregnancy, whether it be, you know, infertility or recurrent miscarriage, in a way that that helps their soul as well. You know, our, our goal ultimately is that we're with God in heaven. You know, we're created to praise, reverence, and serve God, and by this means to save our soul. So if, if we can do all these things together, that, that really becomes our goal. And how we go about doing that is just as impor- important as that we are doing it.
0: Okay. Uh, and uh, um, we were talking earlier about um, children um, being gifts from God. Each child's a gift from God. And you know, when people are dealing with, with issues of, of the type that, that you help them with all the time, I guess a lot of times they probably have difficulty believing that completely, that, that God's got this, that even if I can't see what the plan is, that there is a plan. But it is, but I, it is true, is it not? Because like every child, almost seems like they have their own personality right from the moment that they're born, and that comes from God. He does have this plan, and maybe we just don't see it all the time.
1: We pray all the time that that our children can have their father's wit and their mother's good looks, <laughs> uh, as
0: always. But yeah, but not no. their mother's wit. <laughs> maybe not. You, maybe said not much. you said that. You said that. You said that. Diane, don't watch this. It's my wife. <laughs> anyway, go ahead.
1: When uh, we talk about this, uh, we're, we're really supporting families in, in trying to discern the will of God for them. And, and that that's what becomes challenging, because what is God's will in the midst of suffering, in the midst of joy? Uh, we're, we're, you know, we're walking this path with our Lord uh, and asking for, for guidance. You know, I, I think of all the things we we're just humble creatures. We, we really can't make any demands on God whatsoever. However, with that being said, I, I am always reminded of that uh, prayer of Saint Ignatius of Loyola for generosity. You know, Lord, teach me to give without counting the cost. Blah blah blah. Save that of knowing that I'm doing Your will. I think the one thing through all of this that we can really ask God is, help me to know that I'm doing Your will. That is one one demand because I, I think if you want me to shovel. Manure all day long. I'll gladly do that, but but help me to know that's really what you want me to do, and I'll try and do it joyfully, you know. And, and in the same way, no matter what, we'll talk specifically about fertility. No matter what that plan is, help me to know that I'm following what you want me to do, you know. Are are we prayerfully asking God? You know, should should we be open to having another baby? There may be people listening right now that maybe have been closed. You know, they they've taken that attitude that I've heard before where we're done. Absolutely no. You know, that ship has sailed. And and I think there there should that should evoke maybe a certain sadness in us that, you know, when when there are those grave reasons that Humanae Vitae talked about there's sometimes that, I, and I think should be appropriately that sadness, that I realize what an amazing gift another child could be to our family. But at this point, because of grave reasons, I just prayerfully don't feel like I can accept that gift right now. But I trust that somehow if if God wants that to happen, I'll be open. I need to be open to letting him change my heart and change my mind to want that. Or, plan B, it happens and I then have to accept his will uh, for that. So, I, I mean, I think we need to, to trust God with, with what mm-hmm. he's doing. I mean, it, fertility and family size and those things are are a very practical aspect of accepting God's plan for our mm-hmm. lives and the, the particular cross that he asks us to carry.
0: And uh, as much as, as it actually helps us to be more at peace if we're open to God's will in terms of new life, I'm sure you must deal with people who have difficulty acknowledging God's will when they're dealing with you know, a life that doesn't happen. Uh, you dealt with it personally, with the, with the miscarriages. As a matter of fact, me and my wife have dealt with that same issue. Um, that's got to be a challenge for you in, in your practice. Uh, and I'm sure people deal with that in a variety of different ways. Um, I don't know if you can speak to that i
1: am humbled because i'm i'm welcomed into these these family situations for many such families uh you know i can't speak to their thoughts or their feelings i can only speak from my own perspective uh it is it's grieving a loss the the world would say what's the big deal it's just a, cl- a clump of cells
0: right Mm-hmm.
1: We know better, you know. We know that it's not a clump of cells, and and for those of us in the pro-life community, we we realize what a loss the loss of a child is, and, and it's a very interesting kind of loss. It's a harder kind of loss, I think, than let's say you, you lost your grandmother. Well, you got all these memories of them, you know. They're what they said and who they were and what her favorite recipe was that she liked to cook for you when you came over mm-hmm. but when you lose a child like with miscarriage specifically or you know don't have a child with infertility it's a vacuum it, it there's nothing to hold on to right. who would this child have been what would they have loved or liked uh, what would what were the characteristics of characteristics about them that, you know, we think of our, your children, my children, they're all unique and, and amazing. And I see how God's taking them in different paths right now uh, as they're growing up and leaving. Uh, but but we don't have that to hold on to when we lose a child like we did. So to try and and uh, guide families through those losses is, is very challenging.
0: Do you find um, some patients that maybe that I don't know, that maybe don't even have perhaps a, a particularly strong faith, but yet still feel uh, a poignant sense of loss with a miscarriage?
1: Absolutely. I, I don't know how people experience these losses without faith because for me, I feel like I can lean on God and I can cry out to God and say, I don't understand. I'm angry even to some degree, but I don't understand. Uh, how is this your will for me? How is this for my good? Um, but I come back they, to... They, they, yeah,
0: I'm sorry, did, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, I warned you at the beginning. Yeah, i I'm I, fine. I, I interrupt. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but do they feel like a poignant sense of loss? I mean, is, is the sense of loss, is the sadness, the sorrow, is it not exclusive to people that have faith and don't have faith? Does it just go across the board? I mean, do people feel loss of the loss of a child? With a miscarriage. I, I think if
1: they look at it honestly, they do. Uh, the, the world we lo- live in, like I said, will we'll look to minimize this and cope with this by thinking of a baby as a clump of cells. And, and I often comment to patients as I'm seeing them in the office and doing ultrasounds, what a beautiful clump of cells you have. <laughs> you know, as we're seeing arms and limbs and, you know, uh, the heartbeat and all these good things. And I, I say that in, of course, a very sarcastic way, Because we know that I am, but we know (laughs) it's not. Yeah, no, absolutely. But we know it's not true. We know that this is a life. This is a unique gift from God, the likes of which the world has never seen before and will never see again. And I I hold the hand of of these couples and, and help them to realize the world is a better place because this child was part of it, even for just two weeks. Mm-hmm. even for just six months, what whatever that is, whatever that loss is. You know, I, I think of that uh, passage in Isaiah where God says, my word does not come back to me without accomplishing the purpose that I set it out for. You know, and and children are that same way. They accomplish the plan that God has for them. God willing, we cooperate with our Lord and, and accomplish that, that plan that he has for us. Uh, but, no child is, is ever conceived in vain. There is a plan and a purpose. If for no other reason than to have that cloud of witnesses that is talked about in Hebrews chapter 12, you know, how great that cloud of witnesses that's cheering us to run our race. You know, if, if anything, it should encourage us, you know. To, don't walk, run, run to heaven. You know, let's let's see these kids again someday. I remember years ago, God gave me a I think it was a dream or a vision or something, where as I, God willing, was walking into heaven, you know how children kind of grab a hold of your legs as you're, you know, kind of walking and you're you're when they're little, especially small, and, and you're trying to walk and it's very challenging to walk because you got these little ankle biters on your ankles. And I had this vision of walking into heaven, and these five little ones that I know about, there may be others that we didn't know about, but welcoming me and and joyfully greeting me. And, and how beautiful that is to know that they've been praying for us, they've been encouraging us, that they see the face of God and are accomplishing exactly what God had for them. It, it's really a beautiful thought. And a comforting thought, and and that that's what gives me comfort to go through these really difficult situations with couples. This this is somehow mysteriously the plan of God for us, and we need to welcome
0: it. <laughs> you know, I can't help but uh, but thinking, and I, I mean this in all sincerity. Um, I, I wish we had somebody like you. I wish we had you when we were dealing with our miscarriages. Even as I'm sitting here. Even as those miscarriages are years ago, um, <laughs> you're providing comfort to me right now, yeah. uh, and I got to imagine some of your patients, um, you know, would feel the same thing. Do you? Do people express gratitude very much? Do you encounter that?
1: Sure, I when we do what we do in the office. There are a number of patients that come for gynecologic care. Their their baby days are over. They're not planning on having any more kids, women in their 50s, 60s, 70s. But when we take their history and you ask them, oh, how many children did you have? Did you have any miscarriages? Many of those women kind of get a little choked up when they talk about the losses that they've had. Uh, There are even occasions where, um, you know, I've had a number of, of women that, they were in very difficult circumstances years ago and at that point in their lives thought that abortion for example was the answer and you know they, they disclosed that to me and i mean i'm always humbled by that that they and i can see the pain that they've experienced uh, and to to be able to share with them and and say, hey, there, there are some. I, I know some people that are involved in different organizations, Project Rachel, Rachel's Vineyard, you know, th- things like that 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 provide post uh, post abortion counseling for for those women and and men years later. Because it that as as we mentioned at the very beginning, you know, these children bring something out in us that. They enhance our lives in a way that that can't be enhanced with just things. People are much different than things and to have that other child, that little me, you know my my you know image, you know my spitting image. Uh, and to see those those uh, kids and and the gifts that they have, the bad habits they have, and I know exactly where they got them from from my wife, and I still love her. I, I, I believe that. You
0: know, but nobody's perfect. Funny thing about is it? it's the same on our family. <laughs> it's, it's amazing I don't know how that works.
1: It's amazing how that happens. But to see these children, uh, and and how um, they're a reflection, a reflection of me. And when I when I look at them. I get a glimpse of how God looks at us. I uh, I remember a time my he's thirteen now and he was probably two or three at the time and I was I was sweeping the floor in the kitchen. Mom had asked me to, you know, clean the Cheerios or whatever there was on the kitchen floor. I don't about even about
0: half a minute left.
1: Yeah, and uh, I'll tell it fast then. And uh, I was sweeping, and this this child wanted to sweep, and so he grabbed the broom. And he was making a mess of this pile I had swept up, right? He was doing a worse job of sweeping. And I looked down and I realized the reason he was doing such a poor job is he wasn't even looking at what he was doing. He was looking at me yeah. and smiling. Yeah. He was trying to please his father. Oh, wow. And, and what a joy that was for me to realize, you know, you couldn't exactly, children, couldn't
0: exactly scold them for doing. A I bad could job. not scold him, but <laughs> we've, we've done
1: a lot of teaching and remedial therapy afterwards.
0: Well, doctor, I want to thank you for being with us today. We've been talking about fertility as a blessing and as a curse. People have to deal with with hard things with regard to when they can't conceive and so forth. And you've dealt with a lot of people and you've helped yeah. a lot of people with a practice that is um, that is that is buttressed and centered on the Catholic faith. So it's been a pleasure, yeah. and we thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. So sure. sure.